It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the John Jones main event to my UFC pay-per-view buys, Nick John Braccia the third handsome NJB3. How are you, man? I'm okay. <coughs> oh, sorry, my asthma is acting up a little bit this evening. So you are not okay um, at all. You are falling apart here as we start no, this no, episode. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm okay, man. I'm just excited to pick. I'm catching up. I'm only three points behind. That's right. Um, and uh, after starting out a little slow out of the gate, I beat you up the la- these last two mediocre events. Usually you do really well on the no-name cards, but... Um, Doing a limited, a uh, limited selection of fights yeah, with better known fi- with better known fighters uh, is you know, I tend to know, you know, guys in the top thirty pretty well. But once it gets outside of that, you're the man who goes and sneaks around their gym and looks looks to see if there's any raisins in their shit. You know, um, you stay on top of all those all those guys rolling off of contender series. Nick, when they're in the bathroom, I'm closer than Usada. Let's dive in, man. I don't want to waste any time. I want to break down UFC 285, Jones versus Gone. And maybe it's more like Gone versus Jones since he's technically the higher-ranked guy in the heavyweight division at the moment. Um, this will be fanta- fascinating. There's so many questions between Gone's overall success and not-so-great-looking takedown defense in his last and uh, against his, in his fight against Nganu. And John Jones being off for three years after a couple of lackluster performances, right? Where are these two men and their development uh, is John Jones back and reinvigorated and feeling challenged or is he is he gonna you know is he gonna try to sneak this one by without putting much effort in as he has done on multiple occasions um it, it, this should be fascinating especially considering you know the the legacy of John Jones and the fact that he would would perceivably solidify himself as the goat with a win here and potentially uh, obviously like the, the the heavyweight division is the kind of division Nick where you get three title defenses. You're among the very best of all time. You get a fourth. You're the best heavyweight ever. So John Jones, man, you know he could pull that off. He's certainly shown the consistency. Yeah, I mean we'll talk about it when that fight comes up. We're curious to see which one of us has the audacity to pick it. Will it be the first pick? You won't know until I make it. As a matter of fact, Nick, yours is the first pick. Dab right in, man. Well, the fact is, when you're when you're serving up a really, really mediocre middleweight to a guy that you want to be a star, and it's at minus, and you're a minus two thousand favorite, I got to take Bo Nickel. I don't like him. I'm not even sure he's going to be that good. The question is, is he good enough to take down Jamie Pickett and submit him? I think so. If for some reason he can't do that, I think he can hold Jamie Pickett down for three rounds. So, like, I just don't – it's not like Jamie Pickett has, has shown us anything uh, to lead us to believe he's going to hurt Bo Nickel uh, or can, he can hurt him with one shot or it's going to be a situation um, similar to – oh, my goodness. Who's that young Bellator prospect who's been knocked out a couple times uh, and got choked out, oh, I think, in his Aaron, first fight? Aaron Pico. Aaron Pico. Aaron Pico, yeah. I, I don't think – I just don't get the sense that Bo Nickel is, a, is, an, is an Aaron Pico uh, – type of guy. I also don't think he's going to fight like him. Aaron Pico likes, you know, likes to kickbox and is like to kickbox from from day 1. Um so I'm going I'm going with Bo Nickel to uh 
you know, have have his coming out party. Yeah, I think Bo Nickel is the right pick here. And, you know, there's good reason to be confident in him in this situation because he's shown, like, elite, elite level of talent. Probably one of the best wrestlers in the history of the UFC. Certainly in the top, like, five or six range of any wrestler in the history of this of this thing, including, I think, there have been gold medalists and that sort of thing. Um, he's got three uh, NCAA championships from Penn State, one of the best schools in the country when it comes to wrestling. He is very athletic. He... Like, is shown the propensity for submissions. He's shown the propensity for knockouts, not because he's super technical standing, but because he's very explosive, man. And he can get a knockout by making it look like a takedown, as he did on his second contender series bout. He's only 3-0, and though, right? So the experience thing is not in his favor. Um, and he's, you know, talking about people like uh, like the champion Alex Pereira, given the style matchup, him being a wrestler, and Pereira being almost purely a stand-up fighter. Um, you know, he's, he's talking about Kamzat, so... Talking enough trash to get on people's radar between that and his accomplishments and, and the respect that he gets from the kind of wrestling world. Jamie Pickett, man, just, you know, athletically athletically pretty talented. He's got some power when he lets it go. He's fast. He's tall. He's got long arms. But he often just stands around and does nothing. And he's, he's just mentally not nearly confident enough, it seems like, to become a high-level fighter, even though he has some of the, you know, some of the talents that, that, that would acquire it. Um, I think Bo Nichols should sweep him up here in, in all likelihood and, if he gets exposed in this kind of matchup, that would be pretty embarrassing. Uh, Pickett is coming off of multiple losses and is overall, uh, you know, a, a very, very bottom of the rung UFC level fighter. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Valentina Shevchenko and Alexa Grasso. This is for the straw weight title. I'm sorry, the flyweight title. And you know, obviously, like having the woman's best pound for pound fighter on the planet competing, having the men's goat arguably competing. If you you know rule out the the steroid accusations and all of that. Um, it's a big fucking deal for this one. And so Valentina Shevchenko making an appearance here against an up-and-comer who's been showing herself to be really solid for multiple years now, right? Like, she's fixed a lot of the mistakes that she has made early in her career, Alexa Grasso has. Valentina Shevchenko has shown that she's an excellent striker. Her kicks are just ferocious, right? He, she's explosive when she wants to be. Her boxing is really good. Her defense standing is good. She's also very risk-averse and can sometimes have very boring fights because she won't initiate. She'll just wait for the counter-opportunity. She's very good at countering. Um, and she's going to get some counter-opportunities in this matchup. The thing is that Alexa Grosso's big strength is her boxing. She's added a pretty decent kicking game. She's better now at standing up from being taken down than she used to be. She has pretty good submissions off her back, but that's not really going to work against Shevchenko. What we've seen that works well against Shevchenko is that she can be put on her back, and she can be controlled. Her back can be taken like Talia Santos showed us. Jennifer Maia took a round off her by getting top position and keeping it. Not much of a stand-up game in Valentina Shevchenko's uh, overall arsenal. Uh, and by that, I mean her ability to stand up from bottom position. I don't think that's where Alexa Grasso is going to be able to exploit. Now, there's a chance that what we've seen from Grasso, uh, from uh, Shevchenko recently, is that either she's facing very, very beatable fighters and uh, Lauren Murphy and Jessica Andrade uh, and looking good for that reason. And maybe she's slipping, right, with, with the, the matchup against Talia Santos from what we saw. I mean, she's, I believe, 35 years old at this point, right? Has a lot of miles on her in combat sports, but 34 between kickboxing and mixed martial arts. Uh, but I got to believe that, you know, I, I need to see more evidence of her slipping to envision her losing this kind of matchup. Alexa Grosso is a really good fighter, but she probably is closer to 215 than she is to uh, 220, uh, I'm sorry, 115 uh, versus 125 pounds when it comes to weight divisions. This fight is at 125. She's come up from that division, where Shevchenko has come down after being almost undefeated, except for, to, for the other women's goat in Amanda Nunes um, at 135, and she's untouchable at 125 if you don't count the arguable loss in the last bout, which I still thought she edged. Um, 
I, I got to go with Valentina Shevchenko. I think Alexa Grasso's boxing is something, but is it going to be enough? Not likely. Even if she stings her a couple times, she's going to end up getting taken down, and she's not going to be able to do much from that position. Yeah, I agree. I suspect this will be a fairly competitive fight. It's tricky when you see odds that are as as crazy as these, but it really is because Grasso, although she's very good, she does not have much of a path to victory. Yeah, we're on the same page on this one. Uh, again, like if Valentina Shevchenko's slipping, that's her shot. Outside of that, I don't love her chances. I know she's ever improving, but I think there's a size and an explosiveness difference here that that'll be too much to to handle. A big uh, well, athletic disparity. You know that, and just it just comes down to more ways to win. Shevchenko's got a finisher's kicking game. She's got a finisher's uh, grappling game. And she does have weaknesses, but they're not weaknesses that Grasso is really equipped to exploit. Exactly. And Gra- and Grasso is not much of isn't isn't much of a finisher. And if Valentina does find herself getting pieced up, which I think is extremely unlikely because of her incredible ability to uh, to maintain distance, um, the appropriate you know the appropriate distance, um, she's got a you know she still she has a plan B and a plan C. Grasso does not have those options. Yeah, I'm there um, with you. So I'm going to go with the next obvious prospect pick as I'm just looking to clean up the big points before I start taking underdogs. I'm going to go with Ian Machado Gary, um, who I think is... This is a bit of another showcase fight against Keenan Song, who has not proved himself to be particularly dangerous uh, in the UFC and is, has lost to any any UFC caliber fighters. I know Ian Gary hasn't been in there with anyone amazing, but I think the UFC is in the habit right now of giving him winnable fights. And he's had a little bit of struggle, not much, like with, with Gabe Green. Um, a little bit of adversity there, if I recall. Um, but I don't really I don't really see him having a lot of problems against um, uh, the Chinese fighter. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you on this pick. Uh, Ian Gary, he's tall. He hits hard. He's got some talent for the sport. He trains with a really great team with Killcliffe, uh, formerly Black Zillions in, uh, in Sanford MMA. Um, and so he trains with a really high-level team, trains with a bunch of high-level guys. He's facing Keenan Song, who's kind of a kind of a, a plotting, just powerful brawler, but really raw, right? Like he's athletic, but doesn't have a lot behind that. No real uh, tactics, no real skill. Uh, certainly not at this level. Suspect takedown defense. I think Ian Gary has that option in case he gets clocked on the feet. So I tend to agree with you. It's hard to be confident in such a young kid, but he's shown that he can get through some tough moments in these couple of UFC fights and and, and still win a fight because he's talented and, and has some power. Um, next, I'm going to take... I think the odds are, are too far apart here, but I think I'm going to take this fight because I think that worst case, I can always switch it. Um, Joff Neal versus Shafkat Rachmanov is a high-level welterweight bout. We've seen Joff Neal competing at a high level for a while, man. He's shown that he has the skills to finish guys that just about nobody else is able to finish. And Shafkat Rachmanov has shown himself to be the kind of prospect that you follow. He is like a, uh, a Hamzat Shemaev level prospect, except he's more accomplished prior to his UFC career. Uh, than his Hamzat Shumayev. And his wins are almost as impressive. Uh, I would say he's fighting a higher overall overall level of competition than Hamzat was in his first few fights. So, you know, so it, it's it's understandable why it hasn't been as just, like, ferocious, like, finish you within a few seconds. But he's also less of the kind of guy who exp- explodes and leaves all of his energy there in the first few minutes. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, fight, he doesn't fight like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would tend to agree. And that's I mean, I like Shumayev, but, like, yeah, Shumayev doesn't really... Anyway, you continue. I'll, I'll talk about... Uh... 
Rachmanov in a bit. Yeah, th- that's the thing is that Rachmanov has legitimate wins over legitimate competition. You know how we always, like I always mention how Khabib fought like, I don't know, an 0 and 8 guy in his 8th or 12th pro fight. Like he just fought terrible competition consistently on his way up into the UFC ranks. Rachmanov fought a 13-3 and guy when he was 4-0. and and he finished him, right? Like, he's been fighting tough competition. When he was 3-0, he fought a 5-2 and guy. 5-0, uh, he fought a 13-7 and guy. Way more experienced than him. Um, he's been consistently fighting guys with good records. He fought a 11-3 and guy when he was 10-0. and uh, A 28-6 and opponent when he was 11-0. This was all in the M1 scene, which M1, like, for the Russian scene, is about a high level as it gets, man. They have some real, real opposition there. They bring in Brazilians, bring in some people from other countries to come in and, and, and fight some of their prospects. And tough guys, too. Uh, they don't match make too like they they match make a lot more competitively than those Bellator considering you know Bellator has their favorite fighters that they want to win and they they just get the bottom of the rung human beings uh, who happen to be able to fit on an MMA, a pair of MMA gloves into those matchups against their their favorites not in one man and and he's gone through that gauntlet and he's stayed undefeated he's he's been consistent for so long um, I'm gonna take him here I, there's a speed disparity right Shafkat is not as fast as Joff Neal is extremely fast he's a southpaw I'm curious how Shafkat's gonna uh, gonna deal with that speed discrepancy and the fact that he's a southpaw um, I think Joff Neal is gonna come in with that one two and Shafkat's gonna be able to slip and counter with that right hand he's really good with countering with that right hand Shafkat is also really good at getting top position and dominating from there Joff Neal very difficult to take down and when you do get lucky and take him down very very difficult to hold down right he's he, he hasn't really shown that that you can lay on top of him and, and get points that way and, and, and tick time away. Um, but he did lose to Neil Magny. And if we're going to look at MMA math, right, Shafkat Rahmanov kind of dominated Neil Magny before finishing him. It took him longer than the elite grapplers in the division. But I think like for his fourth or so UFC fight, that's pretty impressive. I'm going to take Shafkat, but I might change my pick given these insane odds. I'm curious where Joff Neil is, right? Like sometimes he comes in looking like a mess. He's clearly not in the fight. He's clearly not focused. He's not aggressive. Sometimes he comes in and he's beating up fools. So yeah, he feels like he's overlooked. Shows up. Yep. Yeah. Well, the the issue is, and why I feel pretty strongly about Shavkat here, <clears throat> is that Shavniel jo- is dangerous if you decide you want to fight like a Vincente Luque style fight. Um, Be aggressive and let him counter. Yeah. Against him, if you're fighting like in a Luque style, that's good for Shavniel. Like if you bring the fight to him, but if you've got, if you're crafty, and I do believe that Shavkat is quite crafty because. He can win an MMA fight any way that you can win win an MMA fight, and he does. And he's a lot more technical than Shemaev is, and he doesn't he doesn't waste movement or make mistakes. So I feel like if you know if if his fastball is not getting the job done, he's got three or four other pitches he can go to, and that and and I feel like if he mixes things up like that, that that could um, that that could sort of fry Neil's circuits. I don't think Joff Neal always has the highest fight IQ or is yeah. particularly adapt or is particularly adaptable. And my the, my sense is that that Shavkat's like as that next gen like MMA fighter goes that he's just instinctively and intuitively like a- able to apply all skills on the fly without, you know, uh, without really having to think about it too much. Yeah, so I, I think, I, think right. I just think Instincts. he's the more I think he's the more complete fighter, and I and I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with the more complete fighter here. I, I do hear that. I, I think him having the instincts. I think you're spot on with that. With the way that he beat Carlston Harris, who was basically circling 
to his own right to Rachmanov's left. And Rachmanov timed it. He threw a spinning back kick and hurt him to the body, right? And then a few moments later, threw a spinning heel kick and hurt him to the head. And presumably, Harris thought it was going to be a body shot. Um, and again, as Harris started to circle in that direction. So he sets things up well. He sees openings and exactly takes advantage it. of them. Uh, you're right about that. And Neil Magny, it was, it was pretty simple. Like, we've seen Neil Magny suffer when it comes to being taken down. And he took a jab or two from him. But once he engaged with him physically, he wasn't letting him go. He got on top and, uh, and did pretty well until he ended up catching him in the guillotine choke. But and that's another thing, right? Is he'll he'll dive in for a guillotine choke. Alex Oliveira in his UFC debut did the same thing. Right? He went for a guillotine choke when he didn't have to, gave up his back on paper, um, but he finishes it, even against like decent opposition. So, you know, is it something I'd recommend against Joff Neal? No, but I would hope I would hope that Rahmanov has the ability to get up if that guillotine doesn't work out, and we're going to hopefully find out. I, I hope this is a, I hope this is like a good test for Rahmanov. And if it's not, man, then he's a scary, scary man. Um, it's just Jeff Neal has five-round experience, man. He's he's got serious speed. This is way closer than the odds suggest, but uh, which is why I'm you know I might consider changing my pick for the point potential there uh, because again for uh, two extra for two points for a pick you pick an underdog of plus one fifty, but if you pick an underdog of plus two fifty or above, you get three points if if that underdog comes through for you. So it makes a big difference. Ma, now, uh, now, now, now that you're, you're sweating a little bit, okay. So this is not, this is I'm going to go with an underdog pick here mostly because I want to gra- have the option at those extra points, and I think the odds in this one are particularly fucked up. Uh, for two points, I'm going to take Jalen Turner uh, to defeat Ma- to defeat Matush Gamrot. Um, Gamrot's fight where he took a lot of damage, both probably to his ego and to his head, um, against Benil Daryush was only in October. You know, five months ago, I would have liked to see him t- take a little longer after a fight uh, that grueling. At the other end of the spectrum, Jalen Turner um, spent last year um, and the, the last two years, really, building up confidence, going from beating Brock Weaver to Eros Medic to Jamie Malarkey, who's a, who's a stud, uh, to, to Brad Riddell, who's a, who's a high-level striker. Um, and I don't believe he's lost since that, that fight to Matt Frivola like four years ago. Um, and I just, I think he's got really good power and his, his fight IQ has gotten considerably stronger. And I feel like he's riding a lot of confidence here. He's going to be like five or six inches taller and have five and a half inches of reach. And he's got power. He's got real power. And Matush has seemed to me to be undersized for the division. You might not agree. I feel like, um, even seeing him against, against Benil, um, as athletic as he is, as, as strong as he is, he seems undersized to me. And I think he's going to eat some big shots from Jalen Turner. If Matush is not able to get this to the ground or if Jalen Turner is able to get up, um, I think Turner, it, I think it's going to be one of those things where every time Turner touches him, he hurts him. Um, so I'm picking Jalen Turner for the upset, uh, upset TKO. I don't think you're making a bad decision. Uh, my concern, and I would have picked, picked out picked Jalen Turner even outside of that my concern is Jalen still hasn't shown the ability like he he gassed a little bit in that Favola fight that pressure got to him right the wrestling got to him he hasn't really shown the ability to fight through like tough moments or or, or long term through a fight we haven't seen him in that third round very much right we saw Jamie Lamarkey take him down in that the end of that first round and keep him down until the end of the round he had a minute and a half of control time 
that's concerning in a matchup against one of the best wrestlers in the division. Now, granted, Gambrot took this fight on short notice. Gambrot took this fight on short notice uh, because Dan Hooker had to pull out because of, I assume, because of an injury. Um, I, I think it was a pretty serious injury, if I if I understand it correctly. And Mateus Gambrot came in and, and took the fight on short notice. He wants redemption from that from that first UFC loss, and he's got a shiny fucking record overall if you look at it um it's just he's one of the best wrestlers and Jalen Turner can be taken down and he can be held down that's been his weakness in the past Jalen Turner is extremely dangerous he's an opportunistic finisher he can get you out of there in no time Taylor's Gamera is super durable uh, as we saw against uh Benio Reyushu who's not quite a, maybe as much of a finisher as Turner but he's not much less of a finisher than him not much less dangerous um I'm going to go with Gamrope because I'm not making this pick and it's not worth two points uh, either way because I think his wrestling might edge out, but Jalen Turner for two points is not a bad call, man. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Jessica Penne and Tabitha Ritchie. Um, I think that Jessica Penne has got a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt and she's pretty decent if she can get into good positions against underdeveloped prospects, against people with a lot of holes in their games, against people who are making their UFC debut or, or, or somebody who gasses out after, after a round, right? That's not Tabitha Ritchie. Tabitha Ritchie trains with Mackenzie Dern. She's got really good wrestling. She's pretty relentless, um, pretty small for the division. She's going to be notably shorter here, but I think she's going to be able to get on top, stay safe from top position and and score points and win a decision that way. Jessica Penny has proven that athletically she's not where she could be and, and somebody who's got their game together and doesn't have a lot of holes to exploit, she's not going to have a whole lot of uh, a, kind of a, a crack to to open up. And I don't think Tabitha Ritchie is going to give her that, especially at this point in Jessica Penny's career. I think she's 39 or, or something around around those lines. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that pick. I'm gonna go uh, deep into the undercard and take um, off of the contender series, uh, Fareed Basharat uh, to uh, beat up Damon Blackshear. Yeah, Blackshear is good from top position, tall for the division. Needs a takedown to win though, and Basharat has good takedown defense. Jake Shields is training Basharat and his brother, who uh, has already shown like success in the UFC. If Basharat gets on top, he has a chance. Uh, I'm sorry, if uh, Blackshear gets on top, he has a chance. But Basharat, um, you know, his high-level talent, his high-level training partners, uh, and who he trains with, uh, I, I've got to, I've got to go with him here. Um, but again, D- D- Damon Blackshear is being underestimated with these odds. I would say um, he's he, he's he's got potential to upset here. Um, and he did gas out in his UFC debut. That's why he ended up going to a draw. But, you know, taking it on a few days' notice, it's understandable to be tied in that third round after doing well in the first two. My next pick is going to be... And this is where everything gets harder, right? A lot of these, uh, a lot of these fights on paper, at least, are, are fairly close. I think I'm going to take... I guess I'll take Cameron Simon to beat Mana Martinez. Cameron's pretty hittable, but he's aggressive, a very offensive, high-volume striker, but hittable because of it, relentless and mentally strong. Um, he's South African, uh, kind of MMA scene is where he came up, so not very high-level opposition, but it's the same scene that Drakus Duplessis came up in. And, uh, and he's, he's similar with that, that like no matter what, he just keeps pushing, he keeps fighting. Um, he, he keeps pushing through tough moments if he needs to, pushes through tired like Duplessis does if he needs to. So I've got Cameron Samon, even though he's hittable and Mar- Mana Martinez has crazy power, entirely uh, possible that it's a bad pick. And I, I might just change the pick for the odds and, and go for three points on Mana before uh, the fight starts. Cool. What you got, what you um, got Yeah, it's hard now. I'm, uh, let's see. Uh, 
I guess I'm going to go with, I don't feel confident about this, um, but I think that Cody Garbrandt should should be able to hang in there uh, at 135 with his chin against Trevin Jones. Yeah, you might. Trevin Jones has lost the majority of the rounds he's fought in the UFC. He scored a couple of big uh, upset knockouts after losing the, the early portion of those fights. He's got power, right? And this is exactly the kind of thing we could see here with Cody Garbrandt's chin being as shot as it is. He's also changing his style. He's becoming more defensive, which is probably not a terrible idea, but what made him dangerous is his aggression and willingness to use his speed and power. Um, I tend to agree that he, he should be the better fighter here. Uh, Trevin Jones is not super skilled overall. He's a Brazilian, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, but not great standing, not the best wrestling, hits hard. That might be all, all it takes, but uh, I, I'm going to agree with you, but it could easily go the other way. Um, if the odds were like pretty wide apart here, I would have taken Trevin Jones. My next pick is going to be... In the and there's a couple of picks here that I'm somewhat confident in, but I, I think I'm going to take Drickus Duplessis to beat Derek Brunson. Derek Brunson is a great wrestler, but he is right around 40 years old. He's you know he hasn't shown the cardio. If he can't start to dominate you early, um, things are not going to go well for him. He relies on on these up and comers who have holes in their games, like I mentioned earlier about uh, Jessica Penne. But he can deal with higher level contender level kind of uh, a not fully put together opponents. Um, whereas Drek is Duplessis, man, he doesn't do a lot of things right, but he hits incredibly hard. He's physically powerful. He's relentless, right? He basically pushes the kind of pace that almost no one can not get tired in, right? But his opponent gets tired too. And the difference is that Duplessis is really good at fighting through tired, which is a superpower, which is something that I wish every fighter understood the concept of. He understands it. He pushes through every fucking hard moment that he himself creates and then ends up drowning you because you can't keep up. And he's able to keep up through being tired. Derek Brunson doesn't do well once he's tired, man. He doesn't take damage well. His chin can be can be tagged, and we've seen that in the past. I know it's against the very elite level of competition, top three or four level uh, of competition that he usually loses to. But at this age, at this point in his career, I'm not even sure that his hair is going to be blonde for this one. Will he have those superpowers? I'm going to take Derek as Duplessis. You know, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, Brunson had that very exciting run, right? We got We got to see him make good on the promise of his younger years before his fight IQ was there. And he looked really, really good for, you know, three, four fights. Um, and then he looked amazing for the first round and change against Cannoneer. He looked fantastic. He took Cannoneer to school in that first round, came out like a bulldog, and then gassed and got and got finished. Um, but he's he knows that the big money, the title... Derek Brunson is not going to be a contender again. That was his contender shot. I yeah. don't, and and we've got we've got a we've got a veteran on the way down who had a pretty good career, but kind of but just missed his moment. He didn't peak, he didn't peak athletically and mentally at the same time, and it's unfortunate. But I'm glad he did get to get did get some redemption and had had the run that he deserved. Um, and Duplessis is the opposite. He's sur- he's surging. He's surging and he can taste it. You know he hasn't been in that he hasn't been in that title eliminator fight. Um, so I agree. I agree with the pick. I do think the first round is going to be so insane that anything can happen because um, they're both firecracker starters and super violent and powerful. Um, but if it goes, if it gets out of the first, Brunson's in in a world of trouble. Um. I guess the pick goes to me now, right? Mm-hmm. Oh boy, oh boy. Is it time? Is it time for the big one? 
Go for it, Broda. What what is left? Ah, I think I'll uh I think I'll hold off on that. I'm gonna go with let me check the odds on this. Sorry, I just hadn't looked at the odds before. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty even. Um Oh God, this is such a hard, hard fight to call, and it's not plus one fifty. But I'll go with the favorite, Amanda Hibas, uh, who I don't think has been quite as consistent as Vivian Arojo, but probably has the higher, uh, the higher ceiling. What do you think there? So I like Amanda Hibas a lot, and it's probably more for her personality. She's just like bomb, the bubbly and and and, and yeah. interesting, and and has this high, like infectious, happy energy, which is awesome, obviously, right? But the thing is that if you look at her wins, <coughs> excuse me, please. She beat Emily Wetmeyer, who's not a good fighter. Mackenzie Dern's a pretty impressive win, even though Mackenzie Dern has no stand-up uh, or no wrestling, really, right? Random Marcos, uh, a journey woman at worst, uh, at best. Paige Van Zandt, not a very good fighter at all. She beat Virna Jandiroba. That's a pretty good win, to her credit, right? Yeah, and, and going to a split decision with Caitlin Chukagian is nothing to sneeze at. No, but almost everybody has, and, and to yeah. be fair, it's not a bad sign for her. Uh, Caitlin has been occasionally winning fights more decisively, but uh, you know when Caitlin wins, it's, it's a super close one, and usually only with two judges' opinions. Viviana Rujo is, first of all, she just came off of a five-rounder with Alexa Grasso, who's challenging for the title, right? So the fact that she won five rounds is to her credit. It was a competitive fight. It wasn't as one-sided as I think some people expected, and she showed the grit to like do well in some of the later rounds, whereas everyone expected her to gas after the first two rounds. That's the thing. She's shown the propensity to gas, to get tired after two rounds. She wins the first two rounds, loses the third often enough, and at times it, it's cost her. it's cost her a win. Um, like in the Jessica Ice situation where Jessica Ice jab started to come in in that second and third rounds, and she wasn't able to uh, keep up. I feel like she's the better stand-up fighter. She hits harder. She's more athletic. She's faster than Amanda Hibas. Amanda Hibas has a good ground game. Can she take her down? Amanda Hibas, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Vivian Arujo, um, if I remember correctly, has 90% takedown defense. Uh, 90% is confirmed. Right, like that's that's a really hard stat to deal with when a man he boss isn't an awesome wrestler. So I'm gonna edge Arujo slightly. I think she might be able to win uh, enough of those first two rounds to walk away with the win here. But dude, I, I don't blame you for making Amanda the Amanda Hebos pick. It's a close one on paper for good reason. My next pick is going to be I I think I'm gonna go for the main event, John Jones versus Cyril Gaon. I might as well dive into this one. It's a big fight. Um, Jones obviously is going to, at least on paper, have the wrestling advantage. We've seen uh, the issues that Gaon had with that in his uh, second-to-last bout. Ground and pound, Jones is nasty from up top. He's finished guy after guy from that position. His cardio is insane. He's got so many years of experience, and he knows how to build that cardio. He's got a base of cardio that's hard to compete with. Um, his durability, right? He's got excellent chin, keeps fighting through tough moments. His experience, man, so many world title fights, let alone just fights overall, and he's basically undefeated. Um, arguably lost his last bout decision, but technically didn't. He wins close fights. That's another thing in his favor. His fight IQ is, is extraordinary. Um, but he's got mediocre boxing. Great chin to make up for it, though. He's got this constant varied kicking game, but I think that should be hard to land on Gon given his kickboxing prowess. Um, he's had trouble against guys about his size, right? If you look at his career, his less impressive performances are against Anthony Smith, who's a, largely a journeyman. And to be fair, he dominated him largely, but it was a listless performance. It wasn't impressive. OSP, kind of a journeyman, right? 
listless performance. It was close. It was competitive. He wasn't able to dominate him with the size. Gustafsson, super competitive war that could have very well gone to Gustafsson years ago. And then Dominic Reyes, super competitive fight that could have gone Dominic Reyes' way. And we've seen Dominic Reyes fall apart after that. It's not like Jones did damage to him that ruined his career. Dominic Reyes has shown that he's a very beatable fighter. Um, and so was it motivational issues with Jones? Was it too many miles on him, right? Is he starting to get old at age 34, 30, 35, I believe, at this point? Right, he's all, all this, all the partying he's done, the, the drugs he's done, the, the damage he's taken, uh, the training camps, the five-round training camps so many times through. Became champion at 23 years old, and I got to watch it live as he beat my first favorite MMA fighter, Shogun. And we've come a long way since then. It's been a long time. He's coming off a three-year layoff. Um, and so if motivation was the issue prior... Is Gon motivation enough? If just moving up to heavyweight motivation enough? Seeing Gon lose via wrestling to Nganu, is that going to take away from his motivation to really push himself in this one? Um, if it's too many miles, is a three-year layoff recovering enough? Or is he going to be rusty, right? Like all of these things kind of fall into play here. He was kicked out of uh, Jackson Winks by uh, Winklejohn. And then he spent, like he's used that gym to train for this camp, even though I'm sure he didn't train with Winklejohn. So like there's that. His training partners are a bunch of UFC washouts, UFC heavyweights who are just not very good, right? Uh, guys guys who literally could not win enough fights to stay in the UFC. And and like so it's not exactly high level, right? There was talk about him training with Cejudo's gym. And I'm sure that was temporary, and, and it sounds I'm sure there were like game-planning uh, discussions with that team, right? But he hasn't been training with the Lone 8 team by any, by any measure. Um, and his performance-enhancing drugs, is he on them, right? He's become a heavyweight. But he's a soft heavyweight, man. He looks, he doesn't look jacked. He looks like he gained a bunch of body fat on top of his previous body, if we're going to be honest. Like, I know there's all this talk. Um, his glutes are bigger now, maybe, right? His, his legs have gained some weight, which might add to his power. I could see that happening. But overall, man, he doesn't look, like, close to chiseled. He looks rather soft. You don't see a single ab on this man. So it's not like the Conor McGregor style of, of gaining weight, which maybe says that he hasn't been on performance-enhancing drugs. And if he's not been on performance-enhancing drugs, how good is he going to be? I don't know, man. Gon has got incredible athleticism, right? He's extremely fast. He's His footwork is unlike anybody else's in this division by far. Unlike anybody at, at 205, even. His speed, he's faster than most 205ers. He's faster than all heavyweights. Kickboxing technique is top-notch. He's a decent-sized heavyweight considering his lack of body fat, right? Like, that guy cuts to 205. He has to eliminate a shitload of muscle to have a shot of doing that. But he doesn't have a whole lot of power. And he can be clipped and hurt by a big hitter, although he quickly recovers. He showed mediocre takedown defense against Nganu and decent takedown defense otherwise, but Nganu, like John Jones is right, it's the best wrestler he's fought. And the lack of ability to stand back up from bottom position uh, by Gon is concerning in this one. He showed a super, super low IQ moment. He would have been heavyweight champion of the world, Nick. He got top position against Francis Nganu. It was two and two. Each guy had two rounds in the bank. In that fifth round, he got top position and he laid back for an ankle lock. And that is fucking disappointing. Here's the thing: if Jones gets on top, he can make a pound with nasty. Uh, he can make a count with nasty ground and pound. He's got pretty good submissions, especially after you kind of are ready to succumb to his pressure. It's possible Jones can do some things from there. Maybe he will get that top position sooner or later, right? But if he can't get that top position, Gon's going to have a decent edge there. Um, I think speed-wise, he's going to be at a discrepancy. Size-wise, strength-wise, possibly. I'm not sure about that one because he's been a lifelong grappler. Um, if it's it, Francis apparently has been really in love with wrestling for the last couple of years since his loss to Stipe Miocic. So there's, you know, there's a side to it of like Francis in his prime was able to out wrestle him on one knee though. It's concerning. I'm going to take him for two points. I think the odds of literally from 
gone being about a uh, about a minus 170, uh, minus 160 maybe favorite when they opened all the way over to Jones being the same level of favorite now. Um, I think there's good reason for that. I, I think just talk about Gon being lazy is concerning. Uh, his lack of wrestling defense between in the last matchup is concerning. How much time has he spent on defending high-level takedowns since his loss if he doesn't train in between training camps, right? All of that is concerning. He's been fighting a bunch of boxers. Jones is making a good point. He's been fighting a bunch of sloppy boxers, low-level heavyweights by by just athleticism and, and, and accomplishment um, uh, kind of factors. Outside of that division, they wouldn't have done too well. So I'm going to take Gon at plus 250 because it's an opportunity, and I, I'm not convinced that Jones is elite, like truly that elite anymore. Maybe Gon isn't either, but I, I'm going to lean toward Gon for two points as of this moment. I may very well change my mind after that weigh-in. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree with you, but I just have I keep having this vision, especially watching a lot of Jones highlights this week, where his double leg or his high cro- his high crotch, like mm. I'm not convinced he's not just going to be able to walk across the cage and pick up Cyril Gon and dump him. Yeah, like possible. I'm not I'm not convinced he's done it to some very big men, you know maybe men, men that in the cage have been 220, 225, not 265, but. I got. I just. If you're John Jones and you're training for this fight, how can you not have that as your game plan? Like yeah. I, you know. Um, so we'll see. But there's something about the way Gon fought that Ngannou fight and the way that he carries himself that just doesn't feel quite right compared to John Jones, who is who has always shown himself to be a sinister, crafty like win no matter what even if his toe is hanging off if he's if he's trying to break people's kneecaps if he's poking him in the eyes as rampage says he's the dirtiest fighter in the game he doesn't mean that as a as an insult it's just like everybody's dirty and jones is the dirtiest <laughs> as far as doing anything to win and like uh, gone always i don't know some people are just like low-key he just always seems like he'd rather be playing like fifa on ps5 um but, uh, you know, we'll see some of it could be a culture thing. Um, we've seen John Jones triumph under the spotlights time and time again. We've, we saw it gone under the spotlight really once, and he, he sort of wilted, and he snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. I hope gone wins. I, I have trouble seeing how um, he doesn't end up dealing with John Jones armbar or John Jones rear naked choke or guillotine um, sometime in this fight. I mean, that, that anyway. would require, that would be more of a skill thing. There was also talk by Gon's uh, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach how, like, he really loves jiu-jitsu. He goes for these fancy moves, but his fundamentals aren't there. That's a real fucking concern. Sitting back on a fucking ankle lock in an elite-level MMA fight in the fifth round of a title fight, that is a bad fucking idea, dude. Um, yeah, especially play, since, play to your strengths. Yes, man. Yeah, that, that was really disappointing. Just could have kept that top position and won the title, man. What this fight would have been for the title with more, uh, with with just more intrigue and 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 maybe less, maybe more questions because you wonder whether whether you know uh, him being the champion and having beat Ngannou, very different MMA world we're looking at entirely then. But just that one mistake led to so many shifts in narr- uh, narrative. Um, my next pick is going to be... Wait, the, wait, what are you talking about? It's my, sorry, it's my pick. Your next pick is going to be what now? Yeah, I'm not messing with that Marquez uh, uh, bar out fight yet. So I'm going to go... I guess there's only one other fight. And, of course, I don't know shit about these guys. <laughs> um, 
So I'm just going to go with the, the fairly heavy favorite, uh, the Loic uh, Razabov over Esteban Rubovich. Yeah, Rubovich is a quick finisher, 11-0 record, but has been fighting with overall like low level of competition on the Argentinian MMA scene. Not great takedown defense. Likes to go for submissions from the bottom, and that's concerning even though he's been effective against low-level competition. What are the odds he can do that against a good guy? Um, and he hasn't gone deep into a fight yet, right? You wonder where his cardio is going to be, but he does, or he has at least trained with Kill Clef MMA um, in the past, not for this training camp, and I'll tell you why. Ratzabov, his opponent, does train with Kill Clef, even to this day. He's a short-notice replacement. Um, he's durable, mentally strong, um, but can gas, right? Granted, he's been five rounds in the PFL. He's been to the PFL finals for the title for the $1 million. He's only lost to the best there, right? And that's to his credit. Ferocious, like looks like Wolverine, just bricked up, not very tall, but pretty explosive with his offense. Decent uh, takedowns, and I think maybe that's an area he can exploit. Um, uh, you know, for three points, I would have considered uh, R- 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 Ribovix here. Because I think, I think the kid's got some potential, even though like we haven't truly seen him tested, and Loic has been tested, but he's lost a few fights to some high-level competition. Um, all this being the same, I'm going with Loic uh, uh, Razjabov. Um, for the three points, I probably would have gone for Ribovix, but you know uh, I don't blame him for making that pick. Next we got, next we got Julian Marquez versus Marc-Andre Bellew. Bellew's another kill-cliff MMA guy. A lot of guys fighting from that team on this card. And he's just purely a pressure fighter. Used to used to kind of came up on the Canadian scene, won a 185 and 205-pound title. I think maybe in TKO, but I could be wrong. Um, when he came into the UFC, he had a rough start and then started to put his game together a little bit. Um, I, you know, he's going to stick around probably for a little while, but I don't know if he's ever going to be champ. And Julian Marquez um, tends to lose the early portion of a fight and then take over late. But if you can really put it on him early, his durability is starting to go a little bit. It's not what it used to be. Um, and so I, I can see Mark Andre Baryu coming through here. Uh, Julian Marquez is also another guy, uh, maybe you'll correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, used to train under James Krause, or at least that's one of the teams that he's uh, trained under. I know he's actually switched around quite a bit as well. Um, I think, uh, I think I'll get, I guess I'll go with Mark andre Bayou because, um, because Marquez's durability is really waning, um, and he always has a rough start, and I can see Mark andre Bayou pressuring him uh, early and putting some putting some numbers on him and, and continuing that momentum, not letting him slip through with the finish. But Julian Marquez is great at coming back after a rough start and finishing a fight. Um, if he still has I, it in him, he can do it, I'm sure. But it's hard to believe in him based on what I've seen lately. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The one wild card here is a big, hot, live crowd. And I mm. feel like when Marquez has performed well, it's been in those situations, not in like Apex-type situations. Interesting. Um, he seems like a charismatic guy who feeds off of that. I actually feel the opposite about, about Marc Andre, who just who you know who seems like he just woke up from a nap all the time. Yeah, um, but he's pretty, he pretty aggressive. Oh, he's a fighter. I just mean like his vibe. Um, so I I could see Marquez feed like he, he just seems like a guy who who gets superpowers from uh, from a hot crowd. I will um, say about Marquez, his last two losses, which are the only two losses in the UFC, were both in front of a hot, uh, in front of a live crowd. He's actually done pretty well in uh, he's actually done pretty well in the in the UFC Apex. Mark Andre, you mean? Right. Uh, no, I'm no, I'm talking about Marquez. Oh. Uh, I thought Marquez. I thought Marquez had a big win at. Um... Oh, you know what? Usman what? versus Burns was that could have. Been, I think that could have been. Uh... Let me see if that was at the. Yeah, he won. He won. He won. It, he won at UFC on ABC two. He won at UFC two fifty eight. 
Um, yeah, but he uh, his what I'm saying is his two his only two UFC losses are in front of a live crowd. It wasn't at the Apex. Yeah, but they're but they're not so but they're not, not paid. But, like yeah, but they're not but they're fight they're fight nights though. Like a fo- a Fox event and a Fox events network TV events and pay per views. I see what you're saying. I think More are much are that. much bigger than a fight night. I can see that. Yeah. And you know what? I hope that if things work out for him, I hope he reaches out to Miles Cyrus and maybe he can finally get that dream date. She might be married though. I don't know if I don't know. Um, if she was. She's, I thought she was. She, I thought she was divorced. Oh, big fan. there you go. Might be, might be an opening for our boy uh, Julian Marquez. Yeah, I have, I have no idea who she's with now. You have yeah, no idea was, who Miles Harris who is. Who's who, who she's with? No, she, she was married. She got divorced like three years ago. I don't uh, know if she has a. Yeah, I have, uh, I have no idea either. Um, and uh, so, by the way, decent music, not bad. I kind of enjoy it. Uh, oh, she's terri- she's terrific. Her covers are amazing, especially. Oh, interesting. This, I like, Google on YouTube her Jolene and her like a prayer are just like. Well, do. Cool, yeah, she's a hell of, hell of a performer. Anyway. So uh, we, we started off with John Jones, and we ended off with Miley Cyrus. I think that's as good of a breakdown as it's going to get for UFC 285, Nick. I'm um, quickly going to run through our picks. Your first pick was Bo Nickel. Second, you took Ian Gary. Third pick for you was um, Jalen Turner as an underdog for two points. Fourth, you took Fareed Basharat. Your fifth pick was Cody Garbant. Sixth, you took... Um, Amanda Hibas, and your final pick was Loik Radzhabov. My first pick was Valentina Shevchenko, the women's goat, or, you know, debatably the women's goat. Second pick was, uh, sorry, my second pick was Shafkat Rahmanov. I might change that for three points. My third pick was Tabitha Ricci. Fourth, I took Cameron Saimon, which I'm not uber confident, and I might consider changing that for three points, too, because he's hittable. Um, then I took Drakus Duplessis, fifth. My sixth pick was Cyril gone over John Jones. Underdog picked two points. I might change my pick again. Like some of these, uh, don't get me wrong. If it wasn't for the point difference, I might be more confident the other way. But I'm trying to take advantage of some of these two-pointers, and maybe that's a mistake. And finally, I took uh, Marc-Andre Barriou to edge out Julian Marquez. Nick, you are only three points behind. I believe at the end of this event, you're going to be ahead, man. I'm not even kidding. Just looking at these really? picks, yeah, I, I think I think you have a good chance of either being a header or maybe tying it up because you know three points is uh, four points is a lot to, to kind of. We'll see. Uh, the pick I may change. I may I'm, I I don't know if I if I have misplaced faith in Garbrand. I, I may change that pick. Um, yeah, I, I hear that. I think the odds are close enough, right? It's not a two pointer the other way. No, it's not. Yeah. yeah neither is he, boss. But yeah, I've got. To, I'll think on those and I'll text you if I change my mind. Sounds good, man. Um, all right, good sir. You, it's late at night. You get to bed, and uh, I will. Uh, I look forward to texting you during the fights and hopefully gloating. Looking forward to it, bud. Have a good night. All right, bye. And three, two, one.